Chapter forty four of Framley Parsonage by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom. Chapter forty four The Philistines at the Parsonage. It has been already told how things went on between the Tozers, Mr. Curling, and Mark Robarts during that month. Mr. Forrest had drifted out of the business altogether, as also had Mr. Sowerby, as far as any active participation in it went. Letters came frequently from Mr. Curling to the parsonage, and at last came a message by special mission to say that the evil day was at hand. As far as Mr. Curling's professional experience would enable him to anticipate or foretell the proceedings of such a man as Tom Tozer, he thought that the sheriff's officers would be at Framley Parsonage on the following morning. Mr. Curling's experience did not mislead him in this respect. "'And what will you do, Mark?' said Fanny, speaking through her tears after she had read the letter which her husband handed to her. Nothing. What can I do? They must come. Lord Lufton came to-day. Will you not go to him? No. If I were to do so, it would be the same as asking him for the money. Why not borrow it of him, dearest? Surely it would not be so much for him to lend. I could not do it. Think of Lucy and how she stands with him. Besides, I have already had words with Lufton about Sowerby and his money matters. He thinks that I am to blame, and he would tell me so, and then there would be sharp things said between us. He would advance me the money if I pressed for it, but he would do so in a way that would make it impossible that I should take it. There was nothing more, then, to be said. If she had had her own way, Mrs. Robarts would have gone at once to Lady Lufton, but she could not induce her husband to sanction such a proceeding. The objection to seeking assistance from her ladyship was as strong as that which prevailed as to her son. There had already been some little beginning of ill-feeling, and under such circumstances it was impossible to ask for pecuniary assistance. Fanny, however, had a prophetic assurance that assistance out of these difficulties must, in the end, come to them from that quarter, or not come at all, and she would fain, had she been allowed, make everything known at the big house. On the following morning they breakfasted at the usual hour, but in great sadness. A maid-servant, whom Mrs. Robarts had brought with her when she married, told her that a rumour of what was to happen had reached the kitchen. Stubbs, the groom, had been in Barchester on the preceding day, and according to his account, so said Mary, everybody in the city was talking about it. Never mind, Mary, said Mrs. Robarts. And Mary replied, Oh, no, of course not, ma'am. In these days Mrs. Robarts was ordinarily very busy, seeing that there were six children in the house, four of whom had come to her but ill-supplied with infantine belongings, and now, as usual, she went about her work immediately after breakfast. But she moved about the house very slowly, 
and was almost unable to give her orders to the servants and spoke sadly to the children who hung about her wondering what was the matter her husband at the same time took himself to his book-room but when there did not attempt any employment he thrust his hands into his pockets and leaning against the fireplace fixed his eyes upon the table before him without looking at anything that was on it it was impossible for him to betake himself to his work remember what is the ordinary labour of a clergyman in his study and think how fit he must have been for such employment what would have been the nature of a sermon composed at such a moment and with what satisfaction could he have used the sacred volume in referring to it for his arguments he in this respect was worse off than his wife she did employ herself but he stood there without moving doing nothing with fixed eyes thinking what men would say of him luckily for him this state of suspense was not long for within half an hour of his leaving the breakfast-table the footman knocked at his door that footman with whom at the beginning of his difficulties he had made up his mind to dispense but who had been kept on because of the barchester prebend if you please your reverence there are two men outside said the footman two men mark knew well enough what men they were but he could hardly take the coming of two such men to his quiet country parsonage quite as a matter of course who are they john said he not wishing any answer but because the question was forced upon him i'm afeard they're bailiffs sir very well john that will do of course they must do what they please about the place and then when the servant left him he still stood without moving exactly as he had stood before there he remained for ten minutes but the time went by very slowly when about noon some circumstance told him what was the hour he was astonished to find that the day had not nearly passed away and then another tap was struck on the door a sound which he well recognized and his wife crept silently into the room she came close up to him before she spoke and put her arm within his mark she said the men are here they are in the yard i know it he answered gruffly will it be better that you should see them dearest see them no what good can i do by seeing them but i shall see them soon enough they will be here i suppose in a few minutes they are taking an inventory cook says they are in the stable now very well they must do as they please i cannot help them cook says that if they are allowed their meals and some beer and if nobody takes anything away they will be quite civil civil but what does it matter let them eat and drink what they please as long as the food lasts i don't suppose the butcher will send you more but mark there's nothing due to the butcher only the regular monthly bill very well you'll see oh mark don't look at me in that way do not turn away from me 
what is to comfort us if we do not cling to each other now comfort us god help you i wonder fanny that you can bear to stay in the room with me mark dearest mark my own dear dearest husband who is to be true to you if i am not you shall not turn from me how can anything like this make a difference between you and me and then she threw her arms round his neck and embraced him it was a terrible morning to him and one of which every incident will dwell on his memory to the last day of his life he had been so proud in his position had assumed to himself so prominent a standing had contrived by some trick which he had acquired to carry his head so high above the heads of neighbouring parsons it was this that had taken him among great people had introduced him to the duke of omnium had procured for him the stall at barchester but how was he to carry his head now what would the arabins and grantlys say how would the bishop sneer at him and mrs proudie and her daughters tell of him in all their quarters how would crawley look at him crawley who had already once had him on the hip the stern severity of crawley's face loomed upon him now crawley with his children half naked and his wife a drudge and himself half starved had never had a bailiff in his house at hogglestock and then his own curate evans whom he had patronized and treated almost as a dependent how was he to look his curate in the face and arrange with him for the sacred duties of the next sunday his wife still stood by him gazing into his face and as he looked at her and thought of her misery he could not control his heart with reference to the wrongs which sowerby had heaped on him it was sowerby's falsehood and sowerby's fraud which had brought upon him and his wife this terrible anguish if there be justice on earth he will suffer for it yet he said at last not speaking intentionally to his wife but unable to repress his feelings do not wish him evil mark you may be sure he has his own sorrows his own sorrows no he is callous to such misery as this he has become so hardened in dishonesty that all this is mirth to him if there be punishment in heaven for falsehood oh mark do not curse him how am i to keep myself from cursing when i see what he has brought upon you vengeance is mine saith the lord answered the young wife not with solemn preaching accent as though bent on reproof but with the softest whisper into his ear leave that to him mark and for us let us pray that he may soften the hearts of us all of him who has caused us to suffer and of our own mark was not called upon to reply to this for he was again disturbed by a servant at the door 
it was the cook this time herself who had come with a message from the men of the law and she had come be it remembered not from any necessity that she as cook should do this line of work for the footman or mrs robart's maid might have come as well as she but when things are out of course servants are always out of course also as a rule nothing will induce a butler to go into a stable or persuade a housemaid to put her hand to a frying-pan but now that this new excitement had come upon the household seeing that the bailiffs were in possession and that the chattels were being entered in a catalogue everybody was willing to do everything everything but his or her own work the gardener was looking after the dear children the nurse was doing the rooms before the bailiffs should reach them the groom had gone into the kitchen to get their lunch ready for them and the cook was walking about with an inkstand obeying all the orders of these great potentates as far as the servants were concerned it may be a question whether the coming of the bailiffs had not hitherto been regarded as a treat if you please ma'am said jemima cook they wishes to know in which room you'd be pleased to have the inventory took fast cause ma'am they wouldn't disturb you nor master more than can be avoided for their line of life ma'am they is very civil very civil indeed i suppose they may go into the drawing-room said mrs robarts in a sad low voice all nice women are proud of their drawing-rooms and she was very proud of hers it had been furnished when money was plenty with them immediately after their marriage and everything in it was pretty good and dear to her oh ladies who have drawing-rooms in which the things are pretty good and dear to you think of what it would be to have two bailiffs rummaging among them with pen and inkhorn making a catalogue preparatory to a sheriff's auction and all without fault or extravagance of your own there were things there that had been given to her by lady lufton by lady meredith and other friends and the idea did occur to her that it might be possible to save them from contamination but she would not say a word lest by so saying she might add to mark's misery and then the dining-room said jemima cook in a tone almost of elation yes if they please and then master's book-room here or perhaps the bedrooms if you and master be still here any way they please cook it does not much signify said mrs robarts but for some days after that jemima was by no means a favourite with her the cook was hardly out of the room before a quick footstep was heard on the gravel before the window and the hall-door was immediately opened where is your master said the well-known voice of lord lufton and then in half a minute he also was in the book-room mark my dear fellow what's all this said he in a cheery tone and with a pleasant face did you not know that i was here i came down yesterday landed from hamburg only yesterday morning how do you do mrs robarts this is a terrible bore isn't it 
Robarts, at the first moment, hardly knew how to speak to his old friend. He was struck dumb by the disgrace of his position, the more so as his misfortune was one which it was partly in the power of Lord Lufton to remedy. He had never yet borrowed money since he had filled a man's position, but he had had words about money with the young peer in which he knew that his friend had wronged him, and for this double reason he was now speechless. "'Mr. Sowerby has betrayed him,' said Mrs. Robarts, wiping the tears from her eyes. Hitherto she had said no word against Sowerby, but now it was necessary to defend her husband. "'No doubt about it. I believe he has always betrayed every one who has ever trusted him. I told you what he was some time since, did I not? But, Mark, why on earth have you let it go so far as this? Would not Forrest help you?' "'Mr. Forrest wanted him to sign more bills, and he would not do that,' said Mrs. Robarts, sobbing. "'Bills are like dram-drinking.' said the discreet young lord. When one once begins, it is very hard to leave off. Is it true that the men are here now, Mark? Yes, they are in the next room. What? In the drawing-room? They are making out a list of the things, said Mrs. Robarts. We must stop that at any rate, said his lordship, walking off towards the scene of the operations. And as he left the room, Mrs. Robarts followed him, leaving her husband by himself. "'Why did you not send down to my mother?' said he, speaking hardly above a whisper, as they stood together in the hall. "'He would not let me. But why not go yourself? Or why not have written to me, considering how intimate we are?' Mrs. Robarts could not explain to him that the peculiar intimacy between him and Lucy must have hindered her from doing so, even if otherwise it might have been possible, but she felt such was the case. "'Well, my men, this is bad work you're doing here,' said he, walking into the drawing-room, whereupon the cook curtsied low, and the bailiffs, knowing his lordship, stopped from their business and put their hands to their foreheads. "'You must stop this, if you please, at once. "'Come, let's go out into the kitchen, or some place outside. "'I don't like to see you here with your big boots and the pen and ink among the furniture.' "'We ain't a done no harm, my lord, so please your lordship,' said Jemima Cook. "'And we's only a-doing our bounden duties,' said one of the bailiffs as we is sworn to do so please your lordship said the other and is very sorry to be unconvenient my lord to any gentleman or lady as is a gentleman or lady but accidents will happen and then what can the likes of us do said the first because we is sworn my lord said the second but nevertheless, in spite of their oaths, and in spite also of the stern necessity which they pleaded, they ceased their operations at the instance of the peer, for the name of a lord is still great in England. And now leave this, and let Mrs. Robarts go into her drawing-room. And please your lordship, what is we to do? Who is we to look to 
in satisfying them absolutely on this point lord lufton had to use more than his influence as a peer it was necessary that he should have pen and paper but with pen and paper he did satisfy them satisfy them so far that they agreed to return to stubbs room the former hospital due stipulation having been made for the meals and beer and there await the order to evacuate the premises which would no doubt under his lordship's influence reach them on the following day the meaning of all which was that lord lufton had undertaken to bear upon his own shoulder the whole debt due by mr robarts and then he returned to the book-room where mark was still standing almost on the spot in which he had placed himself immediately after breakfast mrs robarts did not return but went up among the children to counter-order such directions as she had given for the preparation of the nursery for the philistines mark he said do not trouble yourself about this more than you can help the men have ceased doing anything and they shall leave the place to-morrow morning and how will the money be paid said the poor clergyman do not bother yourself about that at present it shall be so managed that the burden shall fall ultimately on yourself not on any one else but i am sure it must be a comfort to you to know that your wife need not be driven out of her drawing-room but lufton i cannot allow you after what has passed and at the present moment my dear fellow i know all about it and i am coming to that just now you have employed curling and he shall settle it and upon my word mark you shall pay the bill but for the present emergency the money is at my bankers but lufton and to deal honestly about curling's bill i mean it ought to be as much my affair as your own it was i that brought you into this mess with sarby and i know now how unjust about it i was to you up in london but the truth is that sarby's treachery had nearly driven me wild it has done the same to you since i have no doubt he has ruined me said robarts no he has not done that no thanks to him though he would not have scrupled to do it had it come in his way the fact is mark that you and i cannot conceive the depth of fraud in such a man as that he is always looking for money i believe that in all his hours of most friendly intercourse when he is sitting with you over your wine and riding beside you in the field he is still thinking how he can make use of you to tide him over some difficulty he has lived in that way till he has a pleasure in cheating as has become so clever in his line of life that if you or i were with him again to-morrow he would again get the better of us he is a man that must be absolutely avoided i at any rate have learnt to know so much in the expression of which opinion lord lufton was too hard upon poor sarby 
as indeed we are all apt to be too hard in forming an opinion upon the rogues of the world that mr sowerby had been a rogue i cannot deny it is roguish to lie and he had been a great liar it is roguish to make promises which the promiser knows he cannot perform and such had been mr sowerby's daily practice it is roguish to live on other men's money and mr sowerby had long been doing so it is roguish at least so i would hold it to deal willingly with rogues and mr sowerby had been constant in such dealings i do not know whether he had not at times fallen even into more palpable roguery than is proved by such practices as those enumerated though i have for him some tender feeling knowing that there was still a touch of gentle bearing round his heart an abiding taste for better things within him i cannot acquit him from the great accusation but for all that in spite of his acknowledged roguery lord lufton was too hard upon him in his judgment there was yet within him the means of repentance could a locus penitentiae have been supplied to him he grieved bitterly over his own ill-doings and knew well what changes gentlehood would have demanded from him whether or no he had gone too far for all changes whether the locus penitentiae was for him still a possibility that was between him and a higher power i have no one to blame but myself said mark still speaking in the same heartbroken tone and with his face averted from his friend the debt would now be paid and the bailiffs would be expelled but that would not set him right before the world it would be known to all men to all clergymen in the diocese that the sheriff's officers had been in charge of framley parsonage and he could never again hold up his head in the close of barchester my dear fellow if we were all to make ourselves miserable for such a trifle as this said lord lufton putting his arm affectionately on his friend's shoulder but we are not all clergymen said mark and as he spoke he turned away to the window and lord lufton knew that the tears were on his cheek nothing was then said between them for some moments after which lord lufton again spoke mark my dear fellow well said mark with his face still turned towards the window you must remember one thing in helping you over this stile which will be really a matter of no inconvenience to me i have a better right than that even of an old friend i look upon you now as my brother-in-law mark turned slowly round plainly showing the tears upon his face do you mean said he that anything more has taken place i mean to make your sister my wife she sent me word by you to say that she loved me and i am not going to stand upon any nonsense after that if she and i are both willing no one alive has a right to stand between us and by heavens no one shall i will do nothing secretly so i tell you that exactly as i have told her ladyship but what does she say 
she says nothing but it cannot go on like that my mother and i cannot live here together if she opposes me in this way i do not want to frighten your sister by going over to her at hogglestock but i expect you to tell her so much as i now tell you as coming from me otherwise she will think that i have forgotten her she will not think that she need not good-bye old fellow i'll make it all right between you and her ladyship about this affair of sowerby's and then he took his leave and walked off to settle about the payment of the money mother said he to lady lufton that evening you must not bring this affair of the bailiffs up against robarts it has been more my fault than his hitherto not a word had been spoken between lady lufton and her son on the subject she had heard with terrible dismay of what had happened and had heard also that lord lufton had immediately gone to the parsonage it was impossible therefore that she should now interfere that the necessary money would be forthcoming she was aware but that would not wipe out the terrible disgrace attached to an execution in a clergyman's house and then too he was her clergyman her own clergyman selected and appointed and brought to framley by herself endowed with a wife of her own choosing filled with good things by her own hand it was a terrible misadventure and she began to repent that she had ever heard the name of robots she would not however have been slow to put forth the hand to lessen the evil by giving her own money had this been either necessary or possible but how could she interfere between robots and her son especially when she remembered the proposed connection between lucy and lord lufton your fault ludovic yes mother it was i who introduced him to mr sowerby and to tell the truth i do not think he would ever have been intimate with sowerby if i had not given him some sort of a commission with reference to money matters then pending between mr sowerby and me they are all over now thanks to you indeed mr robot's character as a clergyman should have kept him from such troubles if no other feeling did so at any rate mother oblige me by letting it pass by oh i shall say nothing to him you had better say something to her or otherwise it will be strange and even to him i would say a word or two a word in kindness as you so well know how it will be easier to him in that way than if you were to be altogether silent no further conversation took place between them at the time but later in the evening she brushed her hand across her son's forehead sweeping the long silken hairs into their place as she was wont to do when moved by any special feeling of love ludovic she said no one i think has so good a heart as you i will do exactly as you would have me about this affair of mr robarts and the money and then there was nothing more said about it end of chapter forty four recording by nick whitley purley united kingdom